casually, he was talking about something, I don't remember what the topic came up, and he casually kind of said, well, you know, every preacher preaches some heresy. Well, you know, I just couldn't let that go. <laughs> Sometimes I just can't let things go. And I kind of looked at him, and I had to decide, would I kick him out of the building right now? But I, uh, I, I was like, I'm going to have to say I don't agree with that. I hope I, I don't think I've ever preached heresy. So we thought, and, and what it came down to is he's defining heresy very loosely as anytime a preacher is wrong. Well, I've certainly been wrong before. I mean, I thought I was wrong the other day, but I was mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> I was defining heresy as serious error. Something where, you know, false teaching that leads people from Christ into sin. You know, in my mind, you're talking heresy, that makes you a false teacher. Whereas merely making a mistake just makes you an errant preacher. And there's a big difference. And I think the New Testament backs me up here, because 2 Peter 2, 1-3 says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. So there's our connection between false teachers and heresy. Even denying the master who brought them. Well, now that sounds a little more than just like a mistake in a sermon. Denying Jesus. Bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blaspheming. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Now, I've never heard any preacher who try to exploit their congregations with greed. No preacher would ever do that. Their condemnation is from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So Peter seems to indicate here, if I'm reading this correctly, that false teachers bring in destructive teachings, which he calls heresy, that deny Jesus, that seem to be related to sensuality and greed, and lead to people maligning the truth. Now to me, I mean, when I read that, I mean, that sounds pretty serious. That's a lot more serious situation than if I'm wrong about the timing of Jesus calling away the saints at his return. Good people who love Jesus disagree on that subject, but none of them are heretics because of it. Okay. I mean, Governor Renee's son and I would have serious disagreements not a heretic, neither am I. I know he loves the Lord. I assume he thinks I love the Lord. But we disagree on that subject. That's okay. Zach is not a false teacher by any long stretch of the imagination. This guy loves the Lord. Okay? He's different than Okay? Well, here we're talking about heresy and false teaching that go a lot, a lot farther than just pastoral misinterpretation. But these are, these are predator behaviors. The shepherd lures the flock away from Jesus. And Paul warns Timothy that such people are coming. And they're going to be welcomed. And they're going to lead people away from the truth to follow their own lusts and passions. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. According to their own passions. People who just want to have every sort 
church. He spent seven years uh, in a Seventh-day Adventist church. He was really into the book of Revelation. Very good speaker, charismatic speaker. He kind of joined a cult. Then he took over leading that cult. You would better know Vernon Howell as David Koresh. Now, Koresh taught straight from the Bible. But he was a false Christ, a false prophet, and a false teacher, all rolled into one. But people followed him. Now, usually, false teachers maybe aren't quite that obviously false. Right? You ever heard of guys like Benny Hinn? Creflo A. Dollar? Look, there's no way that's that dude's real name. Okay? <laughs> you cannot tell me that his real name is Creflo A. Dollar. I haven't researched it, but I'm just, I'm just telling you, I don't believe it's a real name. Robert Tilton, right? Okay, false teachers. But you're going to find them on your cable TV all week long. And it's always interesting, you know, Peter talked about the, the, the greed, right? They always seem to tell you that you've got to plant a seed of faith. And that planting a seed of faith always seems to involve sending them some money.
see where the problem's coming in, right? If you become a believer and you know you're uh, you're in a particular trade guild, you're in the believers guild, let's say, okay, you make fabric and you become a believer. Well, that's a problem because your guild ceremonies and rites involve whoever the patron god of fabrics is. <laughs> Aphrodite, Athena, somebody. Somebody is the patron god of the, patron god of the fabric guild. Right? Well, this becomes a real problem because now your livelihood is in jeopardy if you aren't going to worship the pagan god who is the patron god or goddess of your guild. That gives you a little, little idea of, about Thyatira. We're going to start verse 18, where we see Christ once again uh, as judge. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now remember also last week in Pergamum, we saw this idea of Jesus as the judge. Okay? And here now, we, we have an emphasis on his deity, right? The Son of God. Okay? So we're with direct connection to hey, that he's God. And he's described as his eyes like a flame of fire. The idea of, of the piercing intensity that he sees everything. Nothing escapes his sight. And his feet like burnished bronze. In ancient times, rulers often sat on raised thrones, right? There would be, just like we have a platform that I'm up here, there'd be a dais that the, free, the, the ruler would sit on, and the throne would be on top of the, of the dais. And so a metaphor for being in judgment was literally to be under the feet of someone, right? Because you're below the feet of the king. The idea was the king was raised high, and you were under the feet then if you were in judgment because you were below the feet of the king. Okay, and so here we have this idea of Jesus, and it talks about his feet looking like burnished bronze, right? It comes through, well, how do you burnish bronze? You heat it. And once it's come through the heat, it's purified with purity and his holiness, and, and him there seated as judge. So sometimes when we talk about Jesus as judge, uh, I think it's uncomfortable for us because we, we love all the all the, the Jesus, you know, carrying the little lambs, right? You know the picture I'm talking about, right? Jesus, I always think when I see that picture, I never want to tell you. Know, so I always want to say, you know, that could be the Passover lamb. Supposed to be slaughtered. Blood goes on the Nobody ever wants to see that. They like it. But I got a picture in my office of Jesus. It's, it's a just a drawing of his He's laughing.
Jesus always wants the absolute best for us. And he knows that the best for us includes our being separate from sin. And we're going to see more of that here in this book. But first, there's a commendation. Verse 19. He says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. You know, I read that, and I'm thinking, church got a lot of good things going on. And that sounds pretty great to me, right? They're marked by love. Okay, that was something Ephesus had lost. Ephesus kind of lost their love. He says, oh, you guys, are, you guys are loving, right? And they were faithful. They really trusted God. Noted for their faith. And for their service. Okay, so I'm assuming what, what he's meaning by that there is, is that their love and their faith led them to express their love in real tangible ways to other people. They served other people. And their patient endurance. Right? In light of, of that situation, you know, their cultural situation, it's tough to be a believer. They probably faced persecution, just like we talked about in Pergamum. But they endured when he talks about endurance. He's always talking about enduring through persecution, through trials. And he says, even your latter works exceed your first. In other words, they were, in these things, they were getting better as they went along. They were getting better. They were getting, they were more loving. They were more serving. I mean, this sounds like a great church to me, right? Does that not sound like a church you want to be a part of? Church of love Jesus and other people and is faithful and endures in persecution and is getting better all the time? That sounds pretty great to me. What was the problem? Well, you see, they had this false prophet. Prophetess, actually. This is the first part of verse 20. But I have this against you. That you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual morality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. This Jezebel. Now, that might be a real name. <clears throat> Maybe just a, a metaphorical reference to connect her to Ahab's wife in the Old Testament, right? Do you remember Jezebel in the Old Testament? She was not a nice person. She was the wife of Ahab. Ahab was the king of Israel in the time of Elijah, right? And Elijah has his little showdown with the prophets of Baal, right? You know, where they're at build the altar, right? And Elijah's like, well, you guys call on Baal, and I'm going to call on, on the Lord. And, and whichever one answers by fire, then clearly that person is God. And you know, the prophets of Baal, they build up the altar and put the sacrifice on there, and they're dancing around, and they're cutting themselves, and they're screaming and hollering and carrying on, and of course, of course nothing happens. Baal's not real. And Elijah's like, they go all day, Elijah's trying, get, get out of the way. Put the altar back together, call the Lord, boom, fire from heaven, right? Elijah sends out the people, they slaughter all the prophets of Baal, and Jezebel is really not happy about this. So she says that she's going to kill Elijah, and of course Elijah flees. That was among her many, her many bad traits. Bad person. Led people astray. So we have this, this, this prophetess that is somehow associated with the church of Tyra. But she's clearly a false prophet, and she's a false teacher. 
because Jesus says she's teaching and seducing his servants to do bad things. <clears throat> so Thyatira's problem is despite all the great stuff going on, is they're allowing this person to teach false doctrine in the church instead of removing her or disciplining her. Now, <clears throat> Jesus doesn't tell us the, the dynamics of what was going on in the church at this time. Maybe they didn't even understand that she was really teaching bad stuff. They probably should have, but maybe they didn't. Maybe they were so love-oriented that they just couldn't confront anybody. Right? You hear this all the time. Jesus loves everybody. We, just, we can't say anything about anything because Jesus just loves everybody. We can't say anything about anything or about anyone. Maybe that was their problem. We don't really know. But it, she was clearly a problem, and Jesus called her out. I mean, this isn't, a, this isn't a situation where you got somebody that's just in sin, <coughs> excuse me, and they need some guidance and they need some help to repent, like a Galatians 6 kind of thing, you know, bear one another's burdens. If anybody's caught in sin, just help destroy them. Something like that. This is a situation of someone causing serious damage to the eternal destinies of other people, and God expects us to reject such people in their teaching. This is someone who clearly fits that description back in 2 Peter that we started with. And the problem is, of course, that false teaching leads people to sin. Let's read that again. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Okay, you want to know how to spot a false teacher? You look at the fruit of teaching. That's what Jesus said, Matthew 7, 15 to 17. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. You know them? What was this teacher's fruit? Leading people to sin through idolatry and immorality. Maybe she, maybe she had kind of, kind of taught like the Nicolaitans, right? We've talked about them in a couple of sermons. You know, they were kind of the people who were like, well, you know what? <clears throat> if you know Jesus, you got your fire insurance. You got nothing to fear. You just do what you want. Just do what you want. Jesus will forgive you. It's okay. Or maybe they, maybe she taught that Jesus was just, you know, well, he's just one God among the Roman gods. So. You can worship him, but you can also worship these Roman gods who were the, the feasts and the Illuminati stuff and everything that goes with those gods. The fruit was bad. The fruit led away people away from Christ. The fruit led to sin. If you remember back in Acts, the Bereans are commended for checking Paul's teaching, right? We, we need to be active students of God's word because we don't want to be led astray by false teachers. Because, folks, there are people who want to twist the Bible around. They want to come up with all sorts of crazy stuff. You need to study for yourself so you're not led astray. Check everything I say against the Word of God. Check everything any other pastor or teacher says. No teacher should fear being questioned with the word of God. I don't fear your questions because I think my 
word of God. And you know what? If it's not, then I'm going to be corrected. So I was wrong. Guys, you need to be even honest there with you. As a Christian, I was wrong. There are doubles here for you. Your anniversary is coming up.
Because we never really take seriously the possibility that God might punish somebody. That's really not a serious idea for the most part in our modern American Western evangelical theology that God actually punishes anybody. And we never attribute supernatural causes to physical things. We just don't think that way. We don't tend to attribute supernatural causes to physical things. But maybe it happened and we just don't realize it. It was happening in Corinth and they didn't realize it, right? Because Paul had to tell them. They didn't know that that was happening. That's why he says, that's why some of you are sick and some have died. They didn't know that that's what it was until he told them that that's what it was. They wouldn't have come to that conclusion on their own. So I'll give you something to think about. I know it's kind of depressing. Gross sin in the church has, has real world consequences. Being led astray has consequences. But you know what? Faithfulness has rewards. Because faithfulness and perseverance lead to future glory. Let's finish up this passage. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast until I only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. He'll rule over the rod of iron, and when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see, Christ is building a kingdom. And when the king comes, he will need faithful, proven, loyal servants to serve him in that kingdom. That's us. Part of us becoming more like Jesus now is preparation for our future service in his kingdom. Eternity is not going to be Eternity is not going to be sitting around, floating on a cloud, playing a harp. And I'm glad about that. A, because my tolerance for harp music is very, very, very low. B, what would the drummers do?
This tells us why Jesus, I think, is so serious about false teachers and false teaching. They keep people from becoming citizens of the kingdom, and then they corrupt people who should be preparing for eternity by becoming more like Jesus. False teaching has serious real-world consequences and can bring judgment, but following Jesus and following the right way is preparation for eternity and for future glory. So Jesus wants his church, as we pursue the truth and love, as Ephesus writes, pursue holiness, carefully examine every teacher and every teaching and see if they line up with the revealed word of God. False teaching and false teachers are not tolerated by Jesus, and they shouldn't be tolerated by us. Instead, our goal should be to continue to become more like Jesus so we can be prepared for our future glory. Let's pray. Father, we know that your word tells us there are those who would somehow use name of Jesus and would somehow use teaching for their own gain to lead people astray. Father, we don't want any part of that. We want to be people who follow your way and grow to be more like Jesus as we prepare for eternity with him. Father, help us to examine everything we hear and learn to see if it's in line with the word of God. Help us to be good students we can prepare for that great eternity. And we give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.